Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today we're joined by Paul Fruin, who's the Regional Sales Director at Arco. Hi, Paul. How are you? Hi, Simon. I'm great. Thank you very much. And thanks for inviting me along onto your podcast. No, you're more than welcome. Thanks for coming on. So I think this one could be quite timely because hopefully we're at the we're near the end of pandemic. Uh, I won't say the end of uh, COVID because I suspect it'll be around for a while. Then we then we are at the start, and you guys have, with what you do, played an integral part in supporting businesses throughout that. But before we find out a bit more about Arco, for those that aren't familiar, let's find out a bit more about you, Paul. How did you arrive at Arco? What's your career journey before that? Cool. Yeah, I'll uh, give you. A- brief bio over the last sort of 40 odd years which seems crazy but uh, yeah I, I started out uh, many moons ago in in retail mainstream retailing I joined Marks and Spencer as a young management trainee straight from school at 18 and um, just worked through a number of different organizations in that period of time from Debenhams to Asda which was probably the most sort of career-defining you know, on to companies like Argos, part of the uh, acquisition of home-based team and sort of leading teams in that environment, uh, into the likes of Specsavers, Boots, and, and, and ended up with, with, with Arco uh, seven years ago. Uh, and the career has been incredibly varied, store management, field management, worked in you know, corporate head offices as well, so quite a diverse career span across a number of different product groups, but bizarrely, Many of the challenges that these businesses face are are not unique to them. It's, it's pretty consistent across the whole sector, whether that be food, general merchandise, or uh, or healthcare. So a, a wide and ranging career, but with some similar themes weaved through. And and one of those themes we'll we'll talk about today involves Arco. So people listening may not be familiar with Arco and I don't mean that as a, as a disservice they just might not recognize the name I'm sure they'll recognize the products when you tell us about it so what what do you do at Arco and what kind of things do you provide? So Arco are a 150 plus year old family run business uh, still family run and based in Hull we are experts in safety so we have a joined up safety solutions oriented business which is everything from selling sort of core PPE including um, many of the face masks that people are wearing today um, in and around their general lives through to some really quite technical kit um, whether that for industries like oil and gas working on oil platforms out in the North Sea um, some significant customers um, in those sectors the food industry uh, motor manufacturing quite diverse and we also do you know the joined up element links into safety services proposition where we do a lot of training and particularly for working at height fall arrest equipment um, and also confined spaces as well all of that comes together under one overarching proposition um, and we have a significant sales team um, based both in Hull and also out on the road so we're all things safety the last the last 20 months has pretty much been all things safety if you take face masks and screens and uh, hand gels and sanitizers so if you cast your mind back to the start of the pandemic i assume you the world of arco went crazy because you already had a supply chain in the products that were quickly going out of stock as people struggled to get masks as retailers struggled to get them for their colleagues so how did that kind of first wave impact you and Arco? 
Yeah, it's a great question. We, we um, like everybody, was sort of taken a bit by surprise at um, sort of uh, mid to end March when this really kicked off last year. And there was a huge spike in demand from all sorts of organizations and some businesses you know, um, that we probably not traditionally done business with. So we haven't got a huge presence in the broader healthcare market like NHS. And certainly they came knocking on our door, but for a relatively limited skew range. So that would have been basic type two and type two R masks, which are the blue ones that you see people wearing now, disposable. Uh, up to P3s and then some more significant respiratory equipment as well. And sanitizer uh, really kicked off. And then other things like aprons, visors, but probably the core products uh, that, that we got huge demand for. Now, if there were, there was a time where, where, where this was going to play to us, it was probably then we'd literally just opened uh, a 200,000 square foot extension to our national distribution center in Hull. Um, and we'd obviously also built stock in the run-up to Chinese New Year. So we'd, um, and, and a lot of that stock comes from the Far East. So we were in as good a shape as we probably could have been from a stock perspective. So we made a decision about who we would prioritize in terms of uh, supporting. That, that was our big core existing customer base and anything that was health service related. So care homes, um, the NHS generally, um, and also that included the HSE and the HSENI in 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 Ireland, where we also trade. So uh, yeah, it was a it, it was a challenging time, and then it was also about how we procured more stock, got more than our fair share, if you like, um, so that we you know ended up air freighting product into the UK um, as well as our traditional you know overwater uh, over procurement from from a lot of our suppliers we have a jarmen office in china so that helps with the procurement also and understanding the local market um but a lot of our product came from wuhan which was obviously where you know, the outbreak was first identified so uh, yeah, it created a number of challenges for us but i think because of our approach the way we brought a core team together um key players in the business to act really in an agile way, um, make decisions quickly, enact them, and then move on it, I think helped us through the core of the pandemic in that first three to four months when it was you know, uh, really challenging for us and, and other businesses and indeed, you know, frontline healthcare. And I assume your kind of existing relationships with suppliers and, and some of those organizations that you've talked about there in terms of procuring stock must have put you in a, a very strong position rather than those organizations that pivoted and decided they were going to sell face masks and sanitizer as a kind of byproduct of the pandemic rather than have been in that world and that product group before. Well, absolutely. And I think the, the key to that was the fact that as experts in safety, we really understand the market. We understand the efficacy of the products, but more importantly, the quality of the product, ensuring that everything had the right uh, standards and accreditations on those standards. We've got a very good team of people who understand all of that. We product test ourselves we have an in, in in-house lab that does a lot of this testing so we knew that we could go to market with a high level of confidence and indeed 
we did lots of checks on some of this other product that people were trying to uh, profit from and found that it was unworthy, unethical. And indeed, some of the uh, some of our customers did buy some of this from third party and found that essentially they'd wasted their money. We went through you know, the right channels to ensure that we procured high quality stock. And there may well have been a premium to pay for that for some of our customers. But at the end of the day, they got a product that was fit for purpose. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because i just casting my mind back as we're speaking, the, the market was flooded with people bulk selling masks that they could get hold of, bulk selling sanitizer, and, and lots of good examples as well. Let, let's not shy away from it. There was organizations that were breweries that turned into producing sanitizer. I think Brewdod did it for the NHS yeah. as well. So lots of great examples, but clearly lots of people with some very short-term profiteering ambitions rather than, as you say, having the infrastructure and facilities to test properly, to weed out those products that might not you know, be worth the money that you're paying for, like you say. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other the great thing as well is that there are a number of uh, vendors who were manufacturing overseas that actually have built manufacturing plants in the UK. And so we've got vendors who can supply us from within the UK, you know, great quality products. Again, arguably slight premium price, but you know, it's on our doorstep. It means that we can work with them far more closely. And as you say, there's companies making things like sanitizer, you know, at home, which meant that we didn't have to go overseas to get that, which also meant that you know, procurement lead times were much uh, were much shorter. So I think we were able to sort of protect most of our customers most of the time. And we definitely prioritized healthcare and probably food sector really, which was really important that you know, we were able to have our you know, our food suppliers you know, maintain production through the pandemic. If only, if only you did lorry drivers as well, Paul. <laughs> that, that that will be probably not make much sense if people listen to this in a couple of months. But topically, as we uh, as we talk today, we are in the midst of uh, shortage of petrol and a shortage of lorry drivers, which is going to cause all sorts of things uh, over Christmas, yeah, is my guess. Yeah, the shortage of drivers creates a bit of tension for us. I think uh, I think one of the things that you know, and, and whilst talking transport, shipping is a huge challenge for us because. You know, we've seen the cost of overseas freight and shipping a container grow by almost 10 times in the last uh, 20 months. So, you know, March last year, we were paying, you know, two to two and a half thousand dollars a container to get product from uh, from China. It's now nearer twenty thousand dollars a container. That that cost is uh, significant. And you add that to oil has gone up significantly and the cost of fuel from that perspective and all other commodities, whatever it is, whether it's timber and its impact on pulp and therefore you know paper and packaging production costs it's a situation at the moment from that point of view almost the the perfect storm coming together um, which is putting challenge on you know the cost infrastructure within the business and how we pass that on to customers yeah i mean i think all industries are, are seeing that and, and facing it and like you say ultimately it's the consumer that will end up paying some all of that cost at the point of purchase start a pandemic clearly things went crazy you were a, a good source of expertise and a, a really safe place to come for those products as the pandemic went on did things change did the type of products people were looking for and buying change or actually it remained really relatively consistent with the the generic ppe pieces it did change the product the core product didn't you know um we, we didn't sort of move into 
new product areas. So it really was still around mask sanitizer essentially i mean there were other other, other elements as said aprons and you know all disposable product and and face coverings as well we we, we sort of pivoted into those so the fabric coverings you know, which a number of our our suppliers started to produce um, by the time we got to july where july 20 as things started to ease up a bit you know, it, it died down did the pandemic you know seasonally based that meant that we started to reopen our business. We had furloughed our stores and closed those, the 45 that we have across the UK. We reopened those at the beginning of July and haven't had to reclose any of those, even through the autumn lockdown. And, yeah, we've just really been watching what our customers are doing ever since then, Simon, to understand you know, those that are reopening you know the, the timelines they're reopening still a lot of our customers just as we are working hybrid um sort of working practices some are in the office some are on the factory floor some are still working from home that's made it a bit difficult for our sales teams to really identify um who to contact and where to contact them but uh, product didn't change much and we found that yeah, we probably had to work harder to get into our customers to understand you know, where they were at on their journey out of the pandemic as well. And I think, you know, 12 months on from that, you know, we're still learning and understanding. Um, yeah, it's never going to be the same as it was pre-pandemic, that's for sure. No, I agree. And when the stores reopened, did, again, that co- that kind of coincided, I assume, with, you know, the building trade getting back up and running and, and all the, the kind of clientele that would come in, did they behave or shop in a different way or was it kind of back to business as usual just with the precautions that were in place at the time? Yeah, I mean, we were clearly very strict around you know, COVID regulations, A, to protect our customers, but you know, arguably more importantly, our, our, our colleagues as well. So we put in stringent COVID protocols, a bit like many retail businesses did. So we absolutely were governed by those. And governed and governed by government guidelines, but I, I think most of the the small trader trends were were to get back to work pretty quickly. They were unfazed by protocol, so um, they just wanted to get back in and you know to start earning. And they'd you know, they'd got on hold a few contracts, and we know what's happened in the last twelve months. You know the number of you know, they're trying to get hold of a good tradesperson um, is very difficult. They're, they're very active with every, you know, all the extensions and small projects that people are doing in the homes. Um, so, yes, we've certainly benefited from that as people have seen the need for not just in those cases, not just PPE from a COVID protected perspective, but just a broader view and sense of awareness of the importance of PPE. So replacing you know, their footwear and some other workwear and things like that to make sure they're they're well protected. But that's only really been so in that smaller white van man type business that that, that we serve through the stores. So. Yeah, it's it's an interesting point because I think again most of our lives have been spent at home or in supermarkets. Certainly in those early days, I think as a consumer you became a lot more aware of the cleanliness of environment so you know we we can all cast our minds back to whichever supermarket we shop in there was the perspex screens between the cashiers and the tills or dividing the self-checkouts and 
I found myself kind of thinking, oh, yeah, they, they've done a good job here cleaning those, or those white ones are a bit dusty. And it, because we were still learning about the the virus and the pandemic and the way it spread and was it contact, was it coughing, could you touch something and pick it up from that, I think although health and safety should and was probably at the top of everybody's list i think it grew even more importance in the mind of the consumer so you know we we both worked in retail paul and as a store manager you've got the compliance things the health and safety things that you have to do because it, it's your name uh you know in the dock as they say if it goes wrong but i suspect that at that period took it to the next level yeah i think it did and i think um yeah, people were very aware of that um and our colleagues you know as shoppers themselves were very aware of that also so you know they did what was right for them but what was right for for, for the customer as well but I think one of probably one of the biggest things which isn't really talked about that much that probably helped was just the general point around personal hygiene and washing hands more frequently so you know things like hand wash sales did did go up as well so it wasn't just using use of sanitizer um, I think there's lots of advice at the time that probably just washing your hands more regularly was probably better than just relying on sanitizer so the sanitizer was a backup and i think everybody was far more diligent around that so you know you weren't picking up germs and spreading germs through you know door handles and those sorts of things in quite the same way as we perhaps were rather in the rather blase fashion that we lived lives pre-pandemic so yeah, I think we had to respond in that way and make sure that everybody felt safe. Um, so I think it was as much a reassurance thing as well um, in, in that regard. So, you know, most of that um, has been removed now from our locations and, uh, you know, the those sorts of restrictions have um, uh, are not in place in quite the same way. We encourage people to to wear face coverings but if they don't want to we don't enforce it we've not really suffered from challenges i think that the mainstream retailers have faced with with customer behavior with regards to face coverings and things so you know, we have lower footfall than that um and i think yeah the relationship we have with our customers is far more respectful they're account-based generally so um yeah they know they know us um, and they know what we do and how we do it where does this all point then for the, the future of Arco? Has this changed kind of business plans moving forward? Has it just reinforced them? Where What kind of things are on your your mind and are the business doing and looking at moving forward? Well, I think the one big thing for us is that it's definitely opened up um, a healthcare market for ourselves. Um, so the relationships that we've built with some of the NHS trusts around the UK has been helpful in that and we'll continue to nurture those relationships i think we'll see healthcare as a sector for us play a bigger bigger part in our in our growth plans probably the single biggest change though is 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 ways of working um for our field sales teams so we've got a team of 75 frontline account managers business development managers as we call them you know, they're, they're regionally and territorially based around the UK and Ireland, enjoyed a period of time working from home, and it's now encouraged them to get back in front of customers on their premises, you know, where it's safe to do so, where our customers want to do that. But our customers, too, are working differently. So they've got you know, many of their colleagues working from home, not back in the office. I think all organisations will have a hybrid approach to, to business, I didn't um, catch that. And I think we will 
you know, we'll have to adapt to that. And our, you know, all of the research that we've done and the companies that we work with in terms of trying to help us understand more about this, you know, you know, organizations like Gartner, who are an international company, who have all sorts of data and insight on, on sales and sales organizations. I think, um, and it doesn't matter, I was on a webinar with, with, with those guys and you know, international businesses all saying, yeah, they're still learning post-pandemic what this will look like. And I think it'll take us the next six, nine months, even 12 months to really understand what our business model looks like. Will it be more home-based? Will it be more tele telesales based? Um, we have stood up a new web platform in the last few weeks, um, which has been in development for a couple of years. Um, that will certainly help our customers transact more online self-serve online which will hopefully then reduce some of the pressure on our sales teams so that they can go out and be more proactive on the sales journey so i think there's a number of things happening in the organization and that, that will will change the way we work but i don't think we fully understand that you know what proportion of our business will be you know face to face in front of a customer on their site versus what will be you know virtual calls We've got some really good technology that we use, um, which is a platform called MediaFly, where we can surface lots of insight, sector-led, um, industry-led, um, commercial insight that we can take to customers to help inform them. And we've, um, we've, we've just stood that platform up, which is very intuitive, allows us to sort of share information really well on a virtual conversation as well as a face-to-face -face conversation. So things like that are helping us, but it's still fairly early days. And given where we stand today with you know, the, the, the final throes of furlough, hopefully that means that those few businesses, last businesses that have been, you know, had a lot of colleagues on furlough open up, that creates another level of confidence in the economy. Um, latest ONS stats indicate that the economy grew faster in the last quarter um, than, uh, than was predicted. So hopefully that's another glimmer of hope in the market. But uh, yeah, I think it's still uncertain in a number of ways, but uh, I think we have to continually reinvent the way we approach, you know, really inform customers about our unique selling proposition, you know, what our overall proposition is in relation to experts in safety and um, which is really quite unique in the market that joined up end-to-end -end proposition that I talked about at the beginning I think how we bring that to life should stand us in good stead going forward yeah no, I agree so th there's been some positives there with the kind of commercial relationships with some of the NHS trusts and then clearly as, as everybody's getting to grips with and I think you've mentioned the word kind of agile and flexible a couple of times as we've chatted everyone's in that boat of trying to work out what it looks like but actually being prepared to change things quickly as your clients want you to be on site or don't want you to be on site or, or have a mix so I think we're all working through it and learning for probably the foreseeable future aren't we absolutely yeah I think it's uh, it's, it, I mean, it, it's it's interesting it's um, quite exciting in some ways it's unnerving in others um but I think those that can can be agile, can respond quickly, can adapt to the changing environment, you know, will be you know, the organisations that you know, that succeed over the next sort of 12, 18 months and come out the other side of this. Because I think, you know, the, the, not notwithstanding the other sort of 
you know, cost challenges that we've got that I alluded to earlier, Simon, I think, uh, you know, those will, you know, calm down, um, over time, you know, as the, as, as the sort of playing field levels out and we'll come to term, come to terms with what this sort of new reality is going to be. So I think we, you know, we feel in a strong position from that perspective, but just trying to, you know, weave our way through the current levels of uncertainty you know, make, makes life challenging but uh, it's also what makes business interesting as well absolutely keeps you on your toes so Indeed. it's been fascinating to chat paul if people want to find out more about arco get in touch with you is linkedin the best place or the website yeah i'm on linkedin paul fruin f-r-e-w-i-n and uh, arco is www.arco.co.uk um, where you can find um what about our history but more importantly about sort of the vast range of products that we sell in the safety world and also um you know other areas of um you know, workplace safety and, uh, and and products in in that you know everything from defibrillators to first aid kits to um you know, serious pieces of fall arrest equipment and, uh, and and the like so yeah it's been a been a pleasure talking to you simon thank you very much for having me on no, you're welcome. And we'll, we'll put those links in the show notes so people can find them easy. So last question from me before we wrap up is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? Well, I think it relates to people and the, and the, and the importance of, um, of, of leadership and you know, being prepared to be a, a strong leader, but you know, engaging um, with your colleagues so that you can really explain the why and purpose of what it is you're doing at any point in time and how it links back to your overarching business mission. And I think if you, on the back of that, treat your colleagues with respect, I think that's the way you take people on these sort of change journeys and the challenging times that we're facing. So I think uh, absolutely links back to the way we as leaders interact with our, with our teams. Brilliant. Love that one. Paul, it's been a pleasure to catch up as always. Look after yourself and we'll speak soon. Yeah, thank you very much.